are now listening to The Prime Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring and investigating all things health, fitness, and performance related. When something is in its prime, it is at its best. This includes us as humans. Are you ready to take on the world? Then join us on this journey to live life in your prime. So back to the Prime Podcast, uh, and here we have a we have a guest, right? So it's not just me sitting in a room by myself with a microphone. We actually have a physical person talking with us, and that person is Dr. Kim Strong. She's a doctor of physical therapy. Now, Kim, interesting story is that Kim is a member at Prime Movement Performance, but probably two or three years ago, a good friend of mine, one of my best friends, Shante Cofield, known as the Movement Maestro on Instagram, was teaching a rock tape course in Utica, which for the record, she only came to teach rock tape courses in Utica to visit me. <laughs> and uh, Kim had attended her course, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And when Shante, I was actually trying to pull up the text message thread for when uh, she had met Kim and she was like, you need to link up with Kim. Like she, she gets it, you know, she gets it. Cause there's, there's a certain type of, you know, like way that Shantae and I think, and we've kind of grown and evolved together, um, in strength, conditioning, rehab, you know, whatever movement, geeking out, all that kind of stuff you want to think about. And we have a certain way of thinking and there's certain people who are aligned with our mode and model of thinking and you know we we kind of Shantae and I have a joke about like you know uh, racehorses versus donkeys you know like if you're a racehorse like you think a certain way and if you're a donkey you think a certain way and we categorize people kind of in that like what type of people who we want to associate ourselves with and Kim's a racehorse right so we're trying to associate ourselves with other racehorses who also align with our values so fast forward two and a half years uh, a member at Prime Movement Performance is a neighbor of Kim's, and she persuaded her to come to the gym. And recently, Kim had mentioned that she learned so much in the last six months being here that she never had thought that she would ever, you know, exposure to. And we've talked about many times, like how therapists and doctors and different things like that should have some exposure to strength training about, you know, so they can better serve their clientele who comes into their office for injuries related to that thing. So here we are going to talk with Kim and go over a bunch of things, injury, exercise, recovery. How do we do these things? Fears of injury. uh, How do we talk to ourselves about injury and all these different things and what we're going to get out of it, I think will be really exciting stuff. So first, welcome Kim. And I want a little background. So what do we what do we do? How do we get here? How are we a doctor of physical therapy? And then give them a little rundown of like your educational background, what you've done, what do you do now, and like the everything in between. All right. Thanks, Anthony, for having me on. Um, I'm excited to be here. So I've been a doctor of physical therapy for 12 years, born and raised locally, went to high school locally, um, athlete in high school never really had like an injury like a lot of people you hear get into pt because they had an injury and then they had to go through pt that's not me um i knew i wanted to do medical um but i can't deal with vomit so i worked in a hospital for a few years and um decided nursing wasn't for me thought about med school but just didn't want to pay the money or take the time and i started working with one of the therapists um just kind of watching them and seeing what they did and getting people who were bedridden up and moving again to go home and resume their lives i thought that was pretty cool so i said well i'm gonna be a therapist and i went to utica college got my bachelor's in health studies continued there for my dpt um graduated in 2018 took or 20 2008 sorry (laughs) Took my first job. (laughs) I know, I'm dating myself. Took my first job at Citrin up on the hill. I did a mix there of just outpatient orthopedic um, and pediatric work. I did some aquatic therapy. I kind of did everything. Got some training in vestibular rehab. So I worked a lot with dizzy patients. Mm -hmm. You know, patients who are dizzy for- vertigo and stuff like that? Vertigo, positional vertigo, um, central vertigo, so like Parkinson's, stroke, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So that was really, really cool. Um, And then moved on to strictly outpatient ortho with a company called Fitness Forum that I'm still with today. 
So I worked up in Barneveld for about six years, treating, you know, low back, shoulders, knees, ankles, you name it, I treated it. Um, and that brings me to present day. I work um, only a few days a week because of COVID right now. I'm home with my daughter a bit. I work with a local orthopedic surgeon who does strictly hip and knee replacements. Um, I see a lot of his patients preoperatively. He's not a big believer in post-op physical therapy. So it's interesting that he has a therapist working with him, um, <laughs> which we'll probably get into some of my thoughts on that. Um, but I love what I do, so it keeps me busy, definitely keeps me thinking. Um, about seven months ago, my friend Emily said, you got to go to the gym, you got to go to the gym, you're going to love it. Quarantine hit me hard like it did everybody else, so I packed on more pounds than I would have liked to, sat on the couch a little bit much, got really into baking, and I've been here seven months. I feel stronger than I've ever been. Um, and it's just been a really good change for me. And like Anthony said, I learned a ton since I've been here about strength training and, and just how important it is, so. And uh, I'm gonna blow her up a little bit. She just got her first strict chin up the other day. I sure, I sure did. I, that was my goal <laughs> when I started. I, I was just hanging from the bar and like, I couldn't move. <laughs> and I said, I'm gonna do this. And so Shantae started CrossFit to get her, get a muscle up. Okay. That was her intention when she joined. She's like, I just wanna do that. And that's all I care about. Yeah. Yeah. How funny. <laughs> PTs, man. That's all they want to do is the fancy stuff. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm going to go back a little bit. So what did you do in the hospital initially when you first, they said you were working in a hospital? Yep. So you? my position was a unit service aide, which okay. is like a step below a CNA or a care attendant. I was 17. So I was changing bed sheets. I was changing patients' little garbage bags on their mm -hmm. tray tables, cutting people's food and helping feed them, like all okay. the like the really nitty-gritty hospital stuff. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And then for people who don't know, Citrin is a nursing home, yeah. right? So you're dealing with mo mostly older patients? And... They hit, yeah, there's a nursing home, um, there's an inpatient rehab, and then they also did outpatient oh, therapy did they? there as well. That, yeah. um, so they okay. had a, when I was there, we had like 12 therapists. It was a pretty big outpatient department. Okay. Um, they had two pools. They still do. I mean, I'm not sure what their operational status is with COVID, but right. they had a pretty good outpatient department. And if, if I'm, you also, were you an adjunct professor? Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, for, what, that's what I'm here for. I know. So <laughs> I've done a lot. For about eight years, I taught adjunct um, in Utica College's DPT program as well. And that's how you, that's how we did the, the first part. That's why you took the rock tape course because yes. she was offering it through UC. Because right? she was offering it through UC. Right. And it was actually my second rock tape course. I had taken my first one in Syracuse right. um, and just really fell in love with their theories and their line of thinking. And I remember being with Shanti in the course and she kept saying, Kay Strong, you get it, you get it. Yeah. And, and now I know what she means. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's, that's great. I mean, it's just to align with people like that is outstanding. So I think what the first thing we're going to start with is um, we kind of had it. We've Kim and I talk a lot after class, before class, chit chat um, about a lot of different things. And one of the things that we talked about recently is kind of like what causes pain, like what causes injury. Um, and from like a therapist perspective, I mean, I, I always have my own opinions on things, but from your perspective, kind of like what is the the maybe top two or three reasons why people would come to you when you used to do more outpatient stuff? Like what kind of like was their thing that caused their pain, do you think? Or like, can you pinpoint something? Yeah, it's pain is such a... It's such a subjective term For sure. that you really got to pick it apart and get down to, okay, is this patient having pain? What kind of pain? Is it musculoskeletal pain? Is it neuromuscular pain? Very different things. Um, so we saw a lot of back pain. I mean, low back pain, neck pain, any spine pain. Um, my back hurts, my knee hurts, and, and really trying to get patients to pinpoint that or kind of break it down into, is it a soreness? Is it a sharp shooting pain? Can you make it hurt? Can you take the pain away? Um, that's a really, really tough thing when you're in pain to do. Mm -hmm. So from a therapy standpoint, getting a really good uh, history on the patient just so that you can understand their pain better. Because sometimes it's not really a pain, it's more of a soreness or mm -hmm. a pain with movement that isn't there all the time. And that can help you kind of delineate what their pathology might be behind it. For sure. So how then, for, for somebody listening, like how might they 
discern themselves the differences between uh, like an injured pain or a soreness pain. So I would think like, is your pain at rest? Do you have just sitting here right now, we're sitting here, we're talking, or do you have any pain? Or would you <coughs> say you're comfortable? Or, you know, every time I do this, go from sitting to standing, go up or downstairs, that's when it hurts. That can help us start to identify a structure. You know, so let's say, you know, stair climbing, you get some medial knee pain or inside of the knee pain. So we know that that's, that's a loaded movement. Um, could it be muscular? Sure. Could it be something internal? Sure. Um, but do you have that pain at rest? No. Okay, so now we can start kind of picking that apart a little bit. So timing of your pain and also location of your pain, mm -hmm. you know, where is it? And understanding and educating your patient that because you have pain in your shoulder, that doesn't necessarily mean you have a shoulder issue. So now we're gonna look at the joints, you know, surrounding that joint to kind of get down to what's really causing this. So that, there's that like quote that floats around like where like where it is, it isn't or something mm -hmm. like that. Some some quote that people post a lot like a lot of the like so if you might have shoulder pain or you might have knee pain, it may like what Kim is saying is that it may not actually be the knee, the shoulder, the low back that actually is causing the pain. It might be a surrounding structure. Right. Um, and then the timing of the pain, that's very interesting because you know, like like she was saying, if you if you have pain while you're doing a specific exercise or a specific movement or a specific, you know, day-to-day -day activity, then that might be a, a sign of, you know, the, that that particular thing is causing the pain versus, you know, you have like an, like the, you're saying, like a, like a chronic thing that's going on. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about, like how many of the people who came in with back pain came in from like deadlifting? Or would you say like the majority of people just came in because just day-to-day -day activities? I think it's a, it's probably 50-50. Like a lot of patients, we rarely would we see them like, I hurt my back yesterday and I'm in therapy today. And that's, you know, talking a lot about just our medical model of how we manage patients. So if somebody hurts their back, whether or not it's deadlifting or at work, they go to urgent care of their primary care physician. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that takes, let's say three, four days to get into one of those places. And then let's say primary care orders an x-ray. So now the insurance has to approve that it's two to three days before they get an x-ray. The x-ray shows nothing. They go back to their primary. Let's set you up for an MRI. MRI's gotta be approved. That mm -hmm. takes eight to 10 days. Now we gotta get them in. So now before they even come to me or any therapist, it's been three weeks, mm -hmm. you know? So all that time and they've gotten maybe some good advice, maybe some not so good advice. So a lot of times the patient has been doing nothing, you mm -hmm. know, because they don't know what to do. Or somebody along the way has told them, well, lay on the couch with your legs up or stay in the recliner with a heating pad. You know, so now not only are we trying to get to the bottom of what's caused your pain, but now what have you been doing over the past three weeks that's influenced the state that you're in now? For sure. Um, so I would say it's pretty rare that we would get a patient that, you know, hurt their back and at work today um, or yesterday and comes to me today. For sure. Now, I just had this conversation with Sam, one of our other coaches, like the idea that if I get injured doing something physically active, like how beneficial is it? I guess in other, other than getting a referral to go to my primary care physician, like how, you know, I mean, obviously there's some great, there's surprise good and bad and everything, but like how, in your opinion, I guess, like what would be the, for me, I know for a fact, like I wouldn't, if I sprained my ankle, the, the primary care physician is probably not the person that I would go to. Right. Right. And I think too, it, it comes down to what we know about our bodies in the healthcare system. So, you know, you have a, let's say a 16 year old female soccer player and she gets injured on the field and she sees the athletic trainer who mm -hmm. tapes it or whatever, gets her back into play. She goes home and tells mom and dad two days later, my ankle still hurts they're going to go to their primary care physician. For sure. You know what I mean? Just just because they don't know where else to start. So I think a lot of times it's just a lack of exposure in the general public who can help when and why. Yeah. And I think that's, Kim, before we got on the air, she was like, what's the kind of purpose of all this? And the purpose is exactly that. Because maybe a parent or an athlete or you listening, you know, you're kind of like, well, I, you know, I did this thing and I, I don't know where to turn, right? So our idea is here is to educate you on, give you some information and tools to make the best decision for you and your body. So when we're talking about, you know, like if you go to a primary care, you know, we uh, we were talking about, like I said, Sam and I were talking about this just before, like when I used to coach football in New York City, we used to tell parents when we had certain doctors who were specifically sports medical doctors, who if a kid got injured, they'd be like, hey, go see 
you know, Dr. Strong, she understands what you do mm-hmm. and she's not going to be like, hey, uh, rest, ice, compression, elevation, two weeks off of it, no movement. <laughs> right. And then you're good to go. Right. And now we know that all that is kind of BS. Like, yeah, we don't really want to rest it. We want to move it. Ice doesn't really help unless it's within like the first 24 hours. Compression might help marginally elevation. You know, so all those things that have come out, you know, that the that they're not really super beneficial. Mm-hmm. But that's the like standard protocol. Right. Right. So primary care, don't do anything for two weeks. Rest, ice, compression, elevation, and you're going to be fine and you're going to be good to go. Right. But if we're thinking from a practitioner point, from a therapist point, like we want you to move, we want you to gain function, we want you to do all these things in a, in a kind of progressive way. And sitting at home doing nothing for two weeks is not going to really help right. you heal very much. Absolutely. Or, or yeah. I, I could not agree more. And I, it's just it's a it's a it's a problem for a lot of reasons. You know, in New York State, you can see a physical therapist without a referral. Like right. we have what's called direct access. However, some insurance companies require that referral. Right. So, you know, it's as a patient and as a as a consumer of your your own healthcare and your insurance, you really have to know what you can and can't do. And that's hard for a lot of people. I mean, we have so much on our plates at any given time. I don't know if I need a referral to go see an orthopedic based on my insurance. It's going to take idea. me time to look it up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting that we we have this this direct access it's called, but it's not always useful because your insurance won't pay for it, you right. know. And I think that's the one of the things that we want to talk about is that that idea, right? Because we, we you know, in, in any setting, uh, people who exercise, people who move a lot, there there's some bumps and bruises and some pains and things that come aches and pains. And you know, even soreness uh, we try to educate folks to be like, hey, like one of the best things you can do is continue to kind of like move. Now, I'm not saying like, let's say you hurt your back. We're not going to go and deadlift 300 pounds tomorrow, but we would like you to move through some ranges of motion to kind mm-hmm. of get those things loosened up in some way. But if you just rest, like many times that structure is not going to heal itself. Right. Um, so what would like some advice if, if I got injured today and like, maybe I have to wait that three weeks because I have to go to my primary, I have to go to, I have to do the due diligence, right? right? I got to get my x-ray. I got to get my MRI before they like allow me to go see a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. Like any, it doesn't have to be like a specific injury, but like what kind of recommendations would you give somebody for like the first, I guess, you know, that three to five days, seven to 10 days of like, they feel like they got injured, they hurt their back or they hurt their knee doing something. Right. And now they're like, just like I said, doing the due diligence, waiting to get to see their their physical therapist or waiting to see the doctor. Like mm-hmm. what would be some recommendations you would give somebody? If uh, it hurts, don't do it. Yeah. Like it's so simple. But if, you know, if, if you can go up the stairs one at a time and it doesn't hurt, let's say you hurt your knee, then do that. Mm-hmm. You know, don't try to push through pain during movement is mm-hmm. often what I tell patients, uh, generally speaking. There's times when that's not true. For but, sure. Um, so if, let's say you're going up the stairs and you're trying to go step over step and that hurts, don't do it, you yeah. know? So it's kind of like when you have a cut on your hand, you know, let's say you have a cut on your knuckle and every time you bend your finger, that cut's gonna reopen. Right. Like, so don't do that, you know? So splint your finger or something like that. But you have to you have to keep moving. For it's sure. just movement is medicine. We've yep. talked about this before. So find a way to move that doesn't cause you that acute, that instant pain during the movement. Soreness is different. Like yeah. soreness isn't a bad thing. Pain isn't a bad thing. You right. know, it, you're sensing pain means that your neural structures are intact, which right. is which is a good thing. Um, but pain during movement generally is not the type I tell folks to push through. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is there an acceptable level of pain? Like if you were to give like a zero to 10 scale, like if, hey, hey, I'm doing, let's say I'm doing something, I'm bending my knee and I hurt it, but now I'm, I can still move it, but it's like maybe like a two. Like yeah. it's kind of like a dull, like it's there, but I know it's there, but it's... It's the pain scale so hard. Yeah, like yeah. people hate it and it's so tough because like your two might be my eight. For sure. You know? So then I think quality of pain, sharp shooting, stabbing pain is is bad. You know? So anytime you have like it feels like somebody's stabbing me with a knife, don't push through that kind of pain. For sure. If you're like, yeah, it's you know, I feel it, I'm aware of it, and eh, maybe you could push through that kind of pain. Okay. So not so much the intensity of the pain, but the quality of the pain is what I'd look at. Okay. Now, uh, we're at, not going to switch a ton of gears, but like I, I'd like to get into like the idea of, you know, like where people's mindset goes or like how, you know, certain practitioners, whether it's a primary care, whether it's some therapist, whether it's 
you know, trainers or whatever, like their verbiage that they use around injuries mm-hmm. and, you know, like, oh, you're, you're broken. Uh, we can fix that. You know, and this idea that like we can fix something or things are broken or, you know, you have a bulging disc, you'll never deadlift again. Or you right. have, you know, a torn labrum in your hip, you need surgery right now or, you know, so on and so forth. Like all these different things that we get diagnosed with. And for some people, it's like a, it's a, it's a death sentence in sure, some ways, absolutely. right? Because then they, they are, you know, like I, I put on the notes, like uh, you're not your MRI somewhere, right? So like we were talking recently how there's a study that I don't even know what the number was, but like 85% or so have some sort of disc issue, right? That it's, it's published and, but not all those people have pain related to it. So while you might get an MRI and like, Hey, you have a bulging disc or a herniated disc or whatever, mm-hmm. but then you don't have pain associated with it. But now because somebody told you, you have a bulging disc now you're like, Hey, I can't do this thing. Right. I don't want to do this thing. So like, what are, should we be either telling ourselves or, you know, being like, would raise a red flag if I'm seeing somebody and like, kind of be like, Hey, like, I don't know if this is the right person that should be treating me or I should be, you know, I maybe go get a second opinion or what are some ways that we can do some self-talk about these sort of situations? I think take your image with a grain of salt, you know, um, and it's always got to correlate back to your symptoms. So let's say, you know, you, you have center of your spine, lower back pain, and it's, it's a five out of 10, um, and you have an MRI and it shows a, a bulging disc to your right side, you know, so, so the, that might give you pain down your leg, but you don't have any pain down your leg. So it's it's really hard to make that determination that that disc bulge is what's actually causing exactly. my my pain. Um, patients always used to come in and be like, well, I have a disc. And I'm like, well, I have some too. Yeah. Because like we all have discs. That's like an anatomical structure. For sure. You know, um, but knowing how your body responds to movement and knowing your body is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And I always tell folks like your body is never going to lie to you. Like the information it gives you, you have to take but the picture might lie to you. You know, an MRI and X-ray is only as good as a the person reading it, mm-hmm. and it's it's a picture. You For know, sure. there's so much behind that. So really, take that with a grain of salt, and don't put so much stock into it either. You know, just because you have a, a disc bulge on your MRI, a doesn't mean it's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's not what it's could be not even what's causing your symptoms. So don't get hung up on that. You know, and and you can still be treated by somebody even without those pictures. So our clinical tests are often proven to be as good as some of those imagery tests. tests. And one thing that always drives people, patients want answers, they want to know, you know? So patients would bring in like the copy of their disc and they'd set it down in front of me and I would leave it there and not put it in the computer. And I would go through my whole, they're like, but I had an MRI and I'm like, okay, like let's, let me do, let me do my thing first and then, Based on my assessment, I might say, like, oh, I think you have an L4, L5, like, moderate disc herniation to the right or whatever, and then pop in the disc, and lo and behold, there it is. So Mm. then, like, not saying I'm great or anything, but that means that our clinical tests can be just as good, sometimes better because now it correlates to your symptoms, than an MRI. And your movement, like if you're flexion or extension intolerant, if you're, you know, like, things like that. Yeah. So different things like that. So, I mean, what's really important is to go back to... You know, kind of like what we talked initially about is kind of understanding your movement, your body, and not just relying on certain things. Because I think if there are some people who who chase diagnosis, mm-hmm. right? So, all right, Kim said that it's not this bulging disc that's bothering me. I'm going to go to another therapist that's going to tell me that and give me the pain meds or give me whatever I want. And if you if you continually chase a diagnosis, somebody eventually is going to give you the answer you're looking for. Absolutely. And, uh. <laughs> you can't, I mean, it's tough because you can't change people and their sure. psychology, you know, so some people become their diagnosis, like, right. you know, so now you're at a family function and they can't sit in this chair because they have a disc, yeah. you know, and it, it affects their whole lives. And unfortunately, from a practitioner standpoint, it's really, really difficult to change those folks. And yeah. sometimes you have to trick them into moving different ways and say, well, you know, 10 minutes ago, you told me you couldn't do that. And then you just did that and then kind of empower them to move through it. But that, that is a, that's a tough, tough thing to do. Right. So you're not your diagnosis. And that's the one of the questions that, that Tori has on here. It says, how to attack a mental restriction or negative mindset after an injury or after pain? Like, so then, you know, what are some ways we might be able to 
kind of flip the script on ourselves and like, you know, we get this diagnosis and we're saying we're not your diagnosis, you're not your MRI, you know, you're you're a human being with, you know, this this thing that might be there and it may or may not be causing your symptoms um, based off of assessments and different things. Like your pain structures are very complex, right? Our bodies are very complex and all we're doing as therapist practitioners are trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Mm -hmm. Um, So then what would we say, do, or help somebody kind of navigate this negative mindset around, you know, like I'm broken. My back is broken. I I can't ever be, I'm never going to be out of pain. Right. Ever. And I think it's it's tough. It's a challenge. And it's really important to start with things that don't cause that person pain, which might be the silliest, simple, open chain, boring exercise that there is. And if the patient can repeat that, hey, you did that without any pain and give them that encouragement, like, let's let's try this next step. You know, there's techniques, mental imagery to get through an injury that, you know, if you picture a movement in your head, it lights up the same spots in your brain on an fMRI than if you were to do the actual movement. Mm. And there's no risk to that. You know, there's no injury along with that. So educate your patients on you know, using that as a tool to help get through an injury and things like that. And also understanding that movement, although is medicine, is not the only medicine. So now during your injury time, you can still help yourself get better by focusing on things we talk about, your nutrition, your stress management, your sleep. Like those are all ways to help you move better without moving. For sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah. You're, you're preaching to the choir here. We're, the racehorses are rock and roll. Yeah. All right. So um, the next question on here, I mean, she she had mentioned something that comes up. It's called like pain. So you have association with pain for certain movements. So let's say if I have back pain, you know, because back pain is the most common, sure. I would say. And uh, deadlifting like scares the hell out of me and I know that if I'm going to deadlift today my back is going to hurt mm-hmm. so even before I get in there I'm I'm thinking about the deadlift the night before and you're saying the neural pathways in my brain are lighting up as yep. if I'm deadlifting and if that pain is happening absolutely well no without the pain happening without the pain without happening. the pain happening but the idea that that's going to happen yeah. and so then we kind of brainwash ourselves to believe that that pain that association with that movement is automatically going to cause us pain right so that actually segues directly into the next question. So this constant fear of injury from certain movements mm-hmm. or certain exercises or certain activities, um, does that set you up then for more pain and maybe a future injury? Like if I'm scared to deadlift all the time. Sure. And then I'm, you know, like I'm like, ah, I think today I'm going to try it. But I'm, I'm like really hesitant. I'm really scared. Like would that like hinder any progress or would it just kind of exacerbate it and like would it allow me an opportunity to actually make any progress or do I have to kind of like reframe the whole thing I think it's a double-edged sword so like for me personally starting here at the gym there were there were movements that scared me for sure you know definitely um but knowing too talking with you and Sam and Nick and the other coaches here like bracing your core, like doing the things that you can do to help Mm -hmm. yourself to not be in pain while you're doing it, you know? So like if you're going to deadlift before you, before you do anything, like brace your core and know that that's going to help to protect your spine. So doing those things to help, um, for me, like it's like rowing. I'm a, I'm a terrible at rowing. I don't like it. And just with talking with Ning the other day, I said, every time I row, like my shoulders kill, my traps hurt. And he's like, you have to activate your lats. And he just poked him a whole bunch. And he's, you got to do this. And I did it. And it felt so much better. Yeah. So knowing that there's a solution to the problem of asking for help when you need it, if you're scared, there's a way around it, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe it's not deadlifting. Maybe now you're just doing some kettlebell swings or something like that until you're comfortable with that movement. And then you put your hands on the barbell. For sure. And I think that's, that's a key, a key thing maybe to change the movement up to something that's similar, because sometimes what's really interesting is that you might have, like this happened to me for personal training clients. Like they'd be like, Oh, it, my hip hurts when I squat. And then we get on the ground in the bottom of a squat position and they don't have any pain. Mm-hmm. They're in the same physiological position, body shape and everything, but it's just in a different uh, capacity. Right. And the pain isn't there. Well, and and education with that is huge. So sometimes you have to take a step back and be like, look, you're in the same position you were when you just told me you had pain. Mm -hmm. And they'll look at you like, oh, my God, you're right. Like, why doesn't this hurt? You know, and then they become less scared because now their body's in that position and there is no pain. For sure. You know, so educating 
your patient, a, a lot of time or your client, people don't understand movement and their bodies. Like I always joke that I'm a motor moron, right? Yeah. Like I can't figure stuff out how to get things to fire when they should. And I think that's I'm not the exception to the rule. Like a lot of folks are like that. So educating them, you know, what is a flexion based activity and why so much of that does put pressure on the discs because right. we know that it does and why extension, you know, does a little bit different pressure on a disc. For that's sure. that's really hard for people who aren't familiar with anatomy or physiology or any of that stuff. To so, understand. so if you don't understand what flexion and extension of your low back is, so flexion would be like if you stood up and then reached for your toes and your back is kind of rounded. Mm-hmm. So that would be a flexion kind of position of your low back. And extension would be if I'm laying on my belly on the floor and I tried to lift my chest up as high as I can, that would be flex or extension of your lower back. So both of them in extremes can put pressure on the discs. Correct. Um, and then when we talk about bracing, we're talking about finding the middle ground somewhere and then trying to essentially brace, like as if someone's going to punch you in the stomach as hard as they can, and you're holding that kind of middle, new quote, quote, unquote, neutral position that's not on either end of the extreme. Right. Yeah. Like you're trying to zip up a tight pair of pants. A zip up a tight pair of pants. <laughs> we've all, pull your tummy tight like you're zipping up a tight pair of pants because we've all been there. <laughs> Tori had hers unbuckled the other day, so she didn't. Yeah, she, so she, she doesn't know she what that means. <laughs> if you follow Tori on Instagram, she had no she had no zipper up. <laughs> Very inappropriate. There was something that I, I did want to uh, uh, talk a little bit more about, and we talked about um, people not understanding right? Like these, these concepts in mm-hmm. terms of uh, just educationally. So as when we look at certain things, when I'm looking at things and I'm writing workouts and I'm training personal training clients, I look at movement patterns, mm-hmm. right? Versus muscles. Like, the, you know, old ideas would be like, hey, I'm looking at what do I, how do I train my, people still come in and will say like, hey, I want to bigger butt and I want a tight stomach and I want to get rid of my tricep flabby arms. I'm like, okay, that's great. But like we, we don't there's no such thing as spot reduction anyway like i can't just be like all right so you know maybe if i was a plastic surgeon i can be like i could draw pictures and cut pieces out and do things like that but in real life your body doesn't move like that right so our bodies move in patterns and there's really only like like six i mean depending on who you talk to there's like six to eight like main patterns of movement and that's like a deadlift or like a hinge right like we just talked about the deadlift movement there's a squat where you're bending at your knees so those are both you're like your primarily lower body exercises and if you think about a hinge a hinge would be kind of if you're moving your hips back and forward right that's our hinge movement whereas a squat would be like our hips are like an elevator they're going up and down and then we have a push and a pull right both horizontally like a push-up and maybe like a row like Mm -hmm. we're just talking about with the the pull and a push and a pull vertically right so we're pushing upwards over our head and then we're pulling downwards like a pull-up and then there's like other things that people throw in there like carries and maybe like a, a single leg movement. Um, and you can get a lot of variety in there with like the other tertiary type movements. But the main six are like the squat, the deadlift, the push, the pull, vertical, horizontal. And then some some people throw some core exercise, some core stability exercise. Like I said, there's a lot of the other ones, but the main ones are those those basic patterns. And in those patterns, right, it's not just one 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 muscle group like uh, we were talking about lower back pain a lot so we'll talk about that we'll continue to talk about the deadlift um so the deadlift is some picking something up off the ground when i'm doing that there isn't just one thing happening right um in you know like i'll let you do the anatomy stuff and then mm-hmm. and, and on a basic level kind of like what muscles would you say like or how many muscles or whatever are being used when you do a deadlift so many. So many. So like many. everything, right? right? Like, like li- well, everything should be. Right. But it's easy for us sometimes to not activate our core like we talked about and not, you know, use your glutes, your butt muscles, kind of shoot your hips up through when you go to stand. Like, mm-hmm. so it's it's easy to rely on some of our bad habits. You know, like if you go to pick a box up off the floor, chances are you're not in a wide stance, bending your knees, you know, thrusting mm-hmm. your hips forward. So we go back to what our bodies know or what we're conditioned to know. And then we put more stress on our our lower back muscles, you know, the erector spinae, that whole thing. And and that's when injuries can occur. For sure. So essentially, like we, we have something called your posterior chain, right? Mm-hmm. And the posterior chain is like your butt, your hamstrings, your calves, and your erectors, mm-hmm. right? So it's like four. But in that, like your butt has multiple muscles. Right. There's multiple hamstrings. There's there's a couple of calf muscles down there. You know, there's like your gastroc, there's your soleus. There's a couple other different low back muscles. You have your erectors, you have your quadriceps lumborum, you have all these other random Fancy things words, yeah. <laughs> um, that are there. So when we just say your lower back muscles, it's like 
there's other ones there. You know, if you say right. your hamstrings, it's not just one thing. It's so when you know we're we're categorizing things into groups, so you you can see there's probably you know if we're actually deadlifting, then we're talking about you're holding onto a barbell, so your upper back and shoulders have to be in there. Right. So we're literally talking about almost every muscle up the backside of your body, including your arms, because you have to hold on to this thing are being utilized when we do a deadlift. Mm-hmm. So if if there's a weak link in the chain. Right, the next thing or something else is going to take the brunt of it. Sure. Which is why, like, the lower back is kind of like that redheaded stepchild. It's in the middle of everything. It's th- your center. Mm-hmm. Right. So if your hamstrings aren't working, if your butt isn't working, if you can't hold on to the barbell well, your shoulders aren't working very well, and then the low back is unfortunately gets the the bad rap for it. Right. And if that's a sh- like an issue for you, then then back up. You know, then then maybe you're not. I don't want to say not ready to deadlift, but maybe you need some biofeedback. Maybe you need a coach or a therapist to tap on your muscles to get them to activate, or maybe you need to do it in front of a mirror or something like that. Yeah. So I think that's so when we look at movements, right? And like like Kim had just said, so maybe you need some feedback. Maybe you need something to like figure out where the weakest link is. Okay. Some of us are, are quote unquote motor morons, or some of us are not knowledgeable enough. Right. I went to Kim went to school for a long time. She went to she studied anatomy. She studied how the body works and all these different things. Um, I went to school, took the same anatomy classes and did all that kind of stuff. And you have those ideas like as you learn and develop as a phys- as a therapist, as a trainer, as whatever, like this is our job. This is our career. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you listening, you might have a desk job where you work. Uh, you're an accountant. Right. So your job is to balance numbers, right? Balance books. And if I wanted to be an accountant, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, hey, Kim, uh, I'm going to do your taxes this year. (laughs) She'd be like, Anthony, it's okay. I'll let you teach me how to deadlift. (laughs) I appreciate it. You can can teach me how to deadlift, but I'm not going to have you do my taxes. All right. And the same thing goes, but for some reason, like fitness, movement, all those sorts of things, everyone feels like they can just figure it out. Um, on their own as they're, you know, like following Instagram, following YouTube, following things like that. While there is a lot of great resources out there, just like anything, there's also a lot of crappy resources mm-hmm. out there. And my job, you know, I've, I've said this to the, our community a couple of times, is, is to just figure out out of all of that information, like filter through it because I have some knowledge and experience behind this kind of stuff and figure out what's the best thing for you, like what is the best stuff out there. Um, and... Do you have any resources or different things like w- that you would you said get a coach or or do things like that? So like, what would we do to I guess educate ourselves more on other than I, I know co- getting a coach is a great answer or going to see a therapist. Like, but what are some I guess really basic things that you can give somebody to like learn more about their body themselves? Because we might not be knowledgeable. <laughs> Look at anatomy. Like, your low back hurts? Like, Google anatomy of the low back. Like, it sounds so silly, but look at pictures. Like, see how some of these muscles are huge, long structures that cover the length of your spine. Like, and and start there. And if you don't get it, ask for help. I mean, whether it's, you know, through a coach or whatever, it doesn't have to be like an exercise session, but understand that, that there's help out there. But you, you got to start with What's your what's your goal to you as a person? Like, why do you care what the low back muscles are? Is it because you're in pain? Is it because you want to get stronger? Is it because you got hurt when you deadlifted a year ago or whatever? Figure out your why and then go from there. You know, you know, why do you want to coach? Why do you want to get fit? Why do you want to go to the gym? You know, and then you can. Why do you want to do that pull up? Why do you want to do that pull up? Because they're so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that's a super important piece right there. Like, like what is what are your priorities? Right. Like is being out of back pain a priority to you? Mm-hmm. If it is, then why haven't you gotten a coach? Right. Then why haven't you stopped deadlifting? Then why haven't you stopped doing things that aggravate it and cause you pain? So if it's a priority, then we have to switch gears and what we're currently doing and and you know, for and help us mitigate those symptoms so then we can be better served to do those things that we want to do in the future. So if I want to deadlift and if I want to do a muscle up, but I have shoulder pain, or if I want to snatch or clean and jerk or do these movements, but they cause me pain in some way, I need to find a way for it to not cause me pain. And if I can't figure that out by myself, which many of us can't, because again, you're not coming to me for your taxes. Right. Right. 
So we have people here and, you know, there's other therapists and there's other people in the area who can help you, right, get out of those situations and find solutions to mitigating those symptoms. So then you can do the things that you want to do pain-free and do them well, you know, instead of like being in this constant cycle of like, hey, I'm out of pain this month, uh, but any deadlift in the next week might throw my back out. Right. And then I'm off the shelf for again. And thinking about where you are in that pain spectrum, like I had pain five months ago, but I'm still really nervous about it. Does that mean I need a therapist? Does that mean I need, you know, a trainer? Does that mean I need just to to do some positive thinking and some meditation and, and sleep on it for a little bit? Or, you know, what does that mean for me where I am in that pain scale versus did I get hurt yesterday and now what do I do? You mm-hmm. know, so that's going to change where you're going to follow up as well. So we've talked a lot about like we're very similar in terms of how we think uh so what would be i guess classically speaking what would be the differences between uh physical therapy versus uh getting a phys- working with a physical therapist and working with like a strength coach one on one now she's seen me train people and we've talked about stuff so uh it may not be very different but <laughs> i think to, like is there a pathology present. So, you know, do you know you have a tear in your rotator cuff? That that might be a good place to start with a physical therapist because right. there's known there's known pathology, there's a known mechanical deformity, something there that now you have to get over that initial whether it's an acute injury or whatever and then work with a strength coach. Okay, versus yeah, I hurt my back 3 years ago and now I just, you know, I want to get in shape, I want to feel stronger, I have a hard time picking up my grandson. That might be more strength coach, right? So and then two thinking about what your what your goals are. You know, I have frozen shoulder, it's been there 2 years and now I need to restore mobility. All right, maybe start with a therapist, couple sessions there. Once you no longer need the skill of a doctor of physical therapy, they can transition your care to some sort of trainer or strength coach or something along those lines. And that's what I think we do a not great job of is is that transition of care from therapist skill of a doctor of physical therapy to somebody that's a trainer or a strength coach or things like that. I think as therapists, we tend to hang on to people a little bit longer than we should, Mm -hmm. whether that's because we don't know what to do with them. You know, they're not a hundred percent, but I'm not putting my hands on them anymore. I'm not, you know, manually working their tissue anymore, but, but they're not ready to be out in the world yet either. So working on that transition is, is I think where we as therapists struggle. So Kim is attending the the three thirty exercise class. this evening. (laughs) So, um, so a a group fitness class or a group strength and conditioning class, like we run at prime performance is a, a group class. And I was listening to a podcast actually before this, and they were talking about like certain movements that are just not a great idea to do in a group setting. And we try to do our best um, in programming, like movements that if I were to have 15 people trying to do this thing right now, it would be a complete, utter chaos, right? So where we have that bridge now between like coming to a group exercise class and being, you know, like group exercise classes, if I'm being as candid as I can be, like they're for people who have minimal pain, they move fairly well, um, and they can do just about everything without symptom or without issue. Um, whereas therapy, right, you might be in a situation where you just came off of surgery, where you have mm-hmm. a tonal rotary cuff, and you have something else. So my, and and the idea is that, that there's, a white, there's a lot of space in between there. That's what Kim was just talking about. There's no, um, a lot of times people go and they'll you know, they have a hip surgery. You know, this just happened recently is why I'm going to talk about it. So somebody has recently, right, had a hip surgery. She's eight weeks out and she comes to me for a personal training. She had just finished all of her personal physical therapy. So she didn't come to me and say like, hey, Anthony, I want to do your intense group strength and conditioning classes, which is good for her and having the know-how because now we're working one-on-one so I can give her a specific tailored thing. You know, and we have a conversations. What did you do at physical therapy today? Okay, what did they do? How did it feel? Blah, 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 blah. And then what I can do then is from there, I can push the envelope a little bit further that either might not be what the therapist, because sometimes therapists, would you agree that like when it comes to modalities or or methodologies like they're limited in terms of like they're gonna this this person comes in with a hip i'm gonna do these 12 exercises and then once that's done i don't know what else to do 
you guys have like certain yeah i think to a to a degree and a lot of times you know a surgeon will send a protocol along with the patient right, that's, that's very like yeah. cookie cutter and you know if we go out of the scope of the protocol then we hear about it from the surgeon so we're a little bit limited there too um so yeah i think i think you're right in general. In gen- generally generally speaking. speaking, yeah. And obviously, there's like like everything that we talk about. There's no um, one size fits all because sure. there's obviously great therapists and there's there's bad therapists and there's a whole bunch in the middle, right? And just like there's great trainers, there's really crappy trainers, and there's a whole bunch in the middle. Just like just about everything. Um, but if we talk about we're taking generally speaking with everything, right? A, a, a therapy might be like a cookie cutter protocol, and then if you go to a group fitness class, you might also get a not a cookie cutter, but like it's a general program, right? Right, and the, the coaches and the, and the train and the therapist too. We can deviate a little bit from here to here, but you, you'll hear about it. And if they do something crazy different in a class, like if you come into a group fitness class and you're like, "Hey, I can't do anything that's up there." Help me. It's like, this might not be the right fit for <laughs> right, you. Right. Right. Just like if you were to go to a physical therapist, and be like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with me. I just want to, I just want to PR my snatch. <laughs> it's like, well, this might not be the right place for you. Right, you might need to go right. to that guy. So, you know, like we don't, we want to make sure that we're, we're putting ourselves in the right position to be the, as successful as we can be. And I think there's, there, there's that gap there, which, you know, physical therapy, you know, everything kind of has its its place in terms of how it can help you develop out of pain and, and get back to full functionality, whatever that might be for you, right? Functionality might be, you know, uh, being on a college soccer team, sure. right? Or it might just be, hey, I want to get on the floor and play with my kids and mm-hmm. run around. Um, so your functionality, your day-to-day function and your activities that you do or your exercise that you do should relate to that in some way. Like if I'm, if I'm trying to compete for, you know, like a very high level comp, like if I'm training, like I'm competing, like a college athlete, but my day to day is like, I'm just running around and playing on the swings with my kids. Right. Like then I think that you have some misalignment there and then you may end up in a bad situation. Sure. Kim's just agreeing with me. It's not, no, I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you're not going to play basketball to train for the soccer team, yeah. you know? All right. So transitions from physical therapy, similarities. We just talked about all that stuff. So a couple things here. Um, we talked about no pain, no gain. That's a myth buster, Tori. No pain, no gain. So we. So I try to give Kim a, a, a pain tolerance scale, and she refused to. I don't, bite. I don't like it. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. So, again, Sam and I were just having this conversation. So if I have knee pain and I go to a surgeon... And like, hey, my knee hurts. What's the surgeon going to tell me? <laughs> He's going to be like, hey, you should probably get surgery, right? Because surgeons are surgeons, right? And that's like their job. So they want to, quote unquote, fix you in the way that they know how to fix somebody right. is to do surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I if I I went to a surgeon and they're like, hey, the only way to fix your knee or to make your knee feel better is for me to, to go in there and scope it out. Right. Um, but I don't want to do that. So... Like, do I have other options or do I just do nothing? Should I do nothing or should I just be like, ah, my knee's broken forever. I'm never going to go to do anything. Yeah. Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if somebody's bone on bone, end stage arthritis, they can't exercise, maybe they need a knee replacement. You know, they can't do anything. But they- is there any time when somebody can't exercise, you think? Like truly um, like can't actually, like if we're calling, we can call exercise. Right. So I think exercise that's... That's going to make a difference in their function, right? So mm-hmm. if if I'm 65 years old, maybe I'm 20 pounds overweight, my knees bone on bone, and I can't get up my stairs with my you know mm-hmm. with my basket of laundry, what exercise can I do that's going to help me do that? That's a toughie, you know. Or do I skip that tough stuff, stay as flexible and as strong as I can? And then eventually have surgery that I know is going to fix the mechanical problem right. that could be causing my pain. I'm going to challenge you a little bit on this That's one. Okay. We're going to I'm debate. Okay. I know. We're I'm going okay to debate. with it. I'm okay with it. So, so now, like, yes. So I agree with Kim in some regard. But I also think if we're talking about functionality, right, the person walking up the stairs has, you know, terrible knee pain. Doctors told them, like, you know, their meniscus is gone, right? Meniscus is the tissue that connects your two bones. Shock absorber of the Shock knee. Shock absorber of the knee. It's gone. And you're theoretically bone on bone, right? Um, so what can I do then to, to maybe exercise? Now, would exercise look – now, we just talked about this. Would exercise look like how I would train a college-level soccer player versus an exercise for you 
might be like doing a step down from a book, mm-hmm. right? So right. a book might be two inches off the ground, right? Right. Yeah. So I'm working a step down, like working on going up and down stairs off a very low level. Mm-hmm. And just like any injury, we would want to do what to the, like the tissues. We want to do like a progressive sure. overload or progressive. There's a specific word that I'm not, it might be prof- progressive loading or whatever we want to do to the structure, right? Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Go on. So so we have this progressive loading of the structure, right? And we start this person. Maybe their step is, how, how tall is the standard step? Anyone know? Six, eight inches usually. Six to eight inches? Yeah. So I start this person on a two-inch step, and they don't have pain. Okay. Okay. And then we go to, uh, we do that for three weeks. We build good volume and good tissue structure over that. And then we go to four inches. And then we go to then we do that for three or four weeks, and then we go to six inches. And I was just having this again, just having this conversation. So then, what's our day? If our function is only to walk up the stairs mm-hmm. with no pain, I can stop there essentially, right? Or I can go to six or eight inches or whatever it is. But dude, does that person ever need to do a full depth squat? Is what no. I'm is oh. what I'm saying. So like, yeah. so I guess my 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 argument is that that person can still exercise and still get better without having to go under the knife, but it would have to look, the exercise would not to a quote unquote normal person. Right. Look like exercise. Like you stepping, like if I were to take an average person, like let's say, like again, one of my college soccer players and be like, Hey, we're going to do this step down off a two inch step today. And they'd be like, all right, but this is nothing. This is not going to do it. It's nothing right? for them. But for an elderly client who has excruciating knee pain, right? Just walking backwards up a hill mm-hmm. might be like vigorous enough exercise, sure. quote unquote. But like, so I think like, like reframing, like I guess the whole thing, my whole point is this, is like reframing what we think of as exercise. Right. Right. In terms of, um, uh, it's, it's a different, f- like I'm not lifting weights, right? I'm not um, do anything different. And also if I'm carrying a load of laundry, right, I've also just loaded that structure sure. significantly. Like, I don't know how heavy loads of laundry are, maybe 10 pounds. Depends, <laughs> it depends on what's in <laughs> there. Depends on who's, if it's your, if it's your sheets and all that jazz, it's might be a little heavier. So then if, if my goal is to get out of pain in that situation, I might have to load that, that position a little bit. So now I'm talking like over time. Now, just like surgery, like how long, because you see patients who, who do like hips and knees and stuff like that. Right. Like how long does it take for them to like, I guess, return to normal function, I guess is the right. So that's, so if I get a hip replaced today, like how long can I go until I can walk again? Can I walk tomorrow? Yeah, you're walking today. Really? I mean, if you have your hip replaced, yeah, you're up and moving. Most patients that have hip replacements in this area, at least the surgeon I work with, you go home the same day. And you just walk around like nothing happened? You walk with a walker. Yeah. Yeah. Until when? How long do I have to have a walker? Five days on average. What? Swear to God. Blasphemy. No. <laughs> what about a knee? What about a knee? Knee? It's all up to you, man. So some people get rid of the walker two, three days after their knee replacement. Others, most folks come back to So can I get two new their... hips and two new knees right now and I'll be good tomorrow to walk? The surgeon I work with will do your knees three weeks apart. You could have so your So I just right have all new joints. Have new shoulders later. too? I can be like a bionic man. Shoulders are uh, tougher. Shoulders tough. Yeah, shoulders tough. Too much stuff around there, huh? Yeah. It's not just a bone, that's why. Because right. there's so much stuff. It's crazy. So if you don't shoulders know like the, the the structures of the anatomy like we were just talking about, like the shoulder is a ball and socket joint, but it doesn't like the hip sits inside of like a, a socket. Yeah. Whereas the the shoulder sits like on it and then it's wrapped by like all this a muscle, yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> so you got to cut through a lot of musculature and tendons yeah. and ligaments and stuff like that to get so to So there's the... different, you go back to the hip replacement, you know, there's different types of hip replacements. We've talked sure. about this. And if they go in anterior through the front, they don't cut through any muscular structures. So your healing time is a whole lot shorter mm. because you don't have that muscular soft tissue disruption that, has to heal. that you would if they went in, in through the back. And that's very surgeon specific. Mm. So... So I can it's get a hip replaced and be be back to quote unquote normal within five days, three to five days. If I if you I could be walking, walking, not no, not normal. Like I'm not like running five k's or anything right. like that. Um, yeah, because that's normal for you. So that's when we use this term normal. For sure. You know, your normal is different from Tori's normal, is different from my normal. So, you know, when you say, how long is it going to take me to get better? You said that earlier. Yeah. We go back to that verbiage, like, can you fix me? When can you make me better? 
that's really subjective, subjective too. Sure. You know, so to say the patient who's 65 years old and can't carry her laundry up the stairs, yeah, that's one complaint she has. The exercise you described might make her better in that regard. But if she's got bone on bone, knee, no meniscus, it's affecting her in other ways For too, sure. you know? But I, but I think that the point of it was that like, I can go get hip surgery or go get knee surgery mm-hmm. right now and potentially be better immediately. Right. So like if I go and get my knee replaced and you say within five days, you're walking, I'm walking. And so like going up the stairs might then be better than it was previous. For sure. So like a surgery would be like what people are looking for is like a quick fix. Whereas my exercise progression might take six months. Right. And then might only marginally make a difference. Marginally make a difference and isn't going to change the anatomical deficiencies that you have. So you're, sure. you're still bone on bone. You still don't have a meniscus. And I'm not advocating for surgery. No, I'm just trying I'm to saying, get, like I said we're, like before, some, we're trying to educate and like right. just look at both sides of the story here. It's like, okay, so now I can get surgery and a doctor, because let's be honest, like most people who are in those situations who are getting knees, hips, whatever, mm-hmm. I wouldn't generally say the majority of them are super active right. individuals to begin with. Would you agree? Um, yes and no. Oh, so it's 50-50, you would say? I mean, I don't know. Well, I don't know like, I the demographics like of people the, who the get people surgeries. people I see in a week, mm-hmm. they're fat, they're skinny, they're old, they're young, they're men, they're women, they're smokers, they're not smokers, they're college athletes, they're not college athletes. So it's diverse. It's, it's everybody, right. you know, because there's a huge genetic component, too. So... You know, sometimes that stuff is whether or not you're going to get arthritis is you can do everything you can. But if you have a strong genetic component, you're probably going to end up with some level of arthritis. For sure. And that's unfortunately out of your control. You can do all the things, all the right things to help prevent it. But but you might not. Right. So back to that. So like now she just debunked my 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 theory. Uh, (laughs) Because I was thinking that like the majority of people, at least the majority of people who I've talked to who I know personally that have gotten hips or knees are all usually people who are a little bit older and they have been inactive for a very long time. Yeah. And they live a sedentary lifestyle and maybe don't have the best nutrition and maybe have, you know, certain stressors like we talked about before. And then they get this knee or hip, but they don't change any of the other parts of their lifestyle that we just talked about, like nutrition, stress, physical activity, any of those things don't change. So then, yes, maybe that immediate you know, uh, structure might be better and you might be more capable, but like over time, wouldn't it just, because you didn't change. It's like, it's like having the, like the, the check engine light on your car. Mm -hmm. I put a, put a towel over it so I can't see it. (laughs) Right. But still on. Right. So I didn't change the, I didn't fix my car. Right. So to speak, I didn't go in and like, Hey, like what's wrong with the engine? Like I just put, I just kind of not, you know, this is a very not great way to do that. You know, I'm just putting like a bandaid on it, so to speak. But I still, my point is that like we still want to, and I think this is what we you kind of hinted at early, early, early on, is that like you have a therapist on, but you don't help fix any of the stuff after the fact with right. having the therapist do any of the rehab or post-operative things that help this help this person potentially get into better lifestyle practices, move a little bit better, um, understand that all these things kind of play a role, not just fix the structure and then be like, all right, you're good to go. Right. I think it's a, it's a, it is a double-edged sword. I've said that a few times because when somebody is in pain, they don't move. When they don't move, they put on weight. That makes it harder to move. And then you have less motivation to eat well because you're not exercising. So it's this huge... Slippery slope. It's, this, it's like going into quarantine. Right. You know, it happened to maybe not all of us, but me for sure. When you get out of that pain or you do something to fix that pain, you know, maybe it's easier to move now. So then you're more motivated to eat a little bit better, you know, so you can kind of build up on that once you fix that problem. And I think here, like, this is where choosing your provider, whether it's your primary care, your physician, your surgeon, your therapist, your trainer, like that makes a huge difference with somebody that aligns with what your thought pattern is. So if you're, and I saw a guy like this yesterday, you know, he's probably 20 pounds overweight, just a huge heavy equipment operator. He needs his knee replaced. And I said, you know, you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z to get better afterwards. And then, you know, maybe drop a few pounds and work on your nutrition, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, I just need my knee done. 
that person's not going to have a great outcome. Exactly. You know? And that's kind of like what this. I was hinting at yeah. um, with like the idea. Uh, Dr. Stuart McGill, who's a big back guy mm-hmm. uh, from Canada, he talks about like preventing surgery, at least back surgery for as long as possible and uh, take the time to do all of the things before you think about doing surgery, pretend you just had surgery and then do all the things that they would do for you. Mm-hmm. Like go to rehab and fix it, you know, do all these things that you would do post-operative and see if your back pain gets better. So then let's say, like let's, yeah. <laughs> let's say you're 60 years old yeah. and your knee starts hurting mm-hmm. and you get an x-ray and you see there's arthritis starting. So then you go a couple years and you're trying to exercise. It's getting tougher. You know, you can't sure. get down on the floor with your grandkids. So now you're 63 and you go back to the doctor and you get another x-ray and your arthritis well, has advanced a little bit. And now you're 66 and, and man, you're, you can barely walk. You know, you're not walking the dog anymore. Were you better off getting the knee replaced three, four years ago and not losing that four years of your life in between? But what have they done in the meantime? Do they, they have a trainer? Do they well, do activity? Do they fix their nutrition? Do they manage well, their stress better? Do they sleep more? Has their surgeon told them to do that? No. Do they know that those things can even help and that they're an that option, stuff, or, who, or that they're an option? And where this, do I start? Who do I go to? And that's what we're going to finish with is because <laughs> you just talked about like picking your providers. Picking your provider. So then if I am, you know, like, so like on Instagram, on Facebook and all these different things, you can curate your own experience. Sure. Right. And we can do that in so many different things, but like sometimes we feel limited. Be like, hey, um, my doctor told me to go to this, this physical therapist, mm-hmm. and this is who they recommended. Blah blah blah. So then, like, what as an educated consumer, what would you advise somebody to do when they're shopping for providers, shopping for a personal trainer, shopping for right. a physical therapist, shopping for a chiropractor, shopping for whatever they're looking to do? Like, what are some maybe red flags or maybe some things that are like, oh, this person is going to do the the thing that I need from right. them. Like, they're actually going to be able to help me. So I think you should always look for somebody that looks at you as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like, you come in, your knee hurts, whoever, whether it's trainer, therapist, whatever, they don't just look at your knee. Yeah, you're you just know, not they, a knee to them. They, right. They watch you walk. They talk about your lifestyle. They talk about your diet. They talk about your nutrition. If you're going to a surgeon who doesn't address the fact that you're a smoker, that doesn't address the fact that your BMI is over 40, that doesn't address the fact that, you know, you have a A1C or a blood sugar level that's through the roof, you don't want that surgeon, in my opinion. For sure. You know, if you go to a therapist who doesn't ask you about what's your goals, what do you want to, what do you want to be able to do? What are you having a hard time doing? Like, those are all things you want them to know you as a person because that's the person that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Same with your trainer. You know, if you have a trainer that just throws weights on a barbell and says, lift this, you know, that that's not going to help you at all. You know, one of my big pet peeves is I hear patients all the time say, well, the therapist I went to before just handed me a sheet of paper and told me to do these exercises. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you could Google rotator cuff exercises, For sure. but you know, we've been trained with the skill of a doctor of physical therapy. So just make sure you're getting what you pay for. Like none of this is cheap. You know, surgery is not cheap. Therapy is not cheap. Training isn't cheap. Make sure you get what you pay for and don't be afraid to shop around. You know, you could do two or three sessions of therapy at this place and you're not happy. Go someplace else. You You have to do that. You're not stuck where your doctors referred you, where your friends tell you to go. You have that choice. And there's certainly enough therapists, surgeons, trainers, doctors around, yeah. you know, so doctor shop. And I would, I would agree even like with trainers too, because we, we, I make jokes like that not everybody is going to be your flavor. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, some people offer vanilla, some people offer chocolate, strawberry. If you look at an ice cream flavors, it's really easy for people to understand. Um, but maybe you like chocolate chip and you're at a surgeon or a doctor or a therapist who they serve Rocky Road and it's just... right. Not your cup of tea. You know, you just don't like it. And like Kim is saying, like, it's you can just be like, hey, you know, I'm going to go look. You know, you don't have to tell that person. But I mean, it would be courtesy, right, to be like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to go see somebody else because, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you know, they may take offense to it. But at the end of the day, it's about your health and your wellness, your pain free life, your best life, whatever you want to classify it as. And you have to take ownership of that. And part of that is educating yourself on who's in your area, who can provide for you and who's the best option for you. And if you don't know who those people are, ask 
ask. Ask your therapist. I mean, as, as a therapist, we've seen great outcomes from surgery. We've seen terrible outcomes from surgery. Why? Is it is it surgeon specific? Is it rehab specific? You know, and, and don't be afraid to ask, but take what you hear from people outside of the medical community with a grain of salt because sure. everybody loves to tell you their horror stories. So. Yeah. And, and like Kim said, just ask, ask for help. That's one of the things. If you If you never ask, you'll never get an answer. All right. We've been on here for way too long. An hour and five minutes. <laughs> we may leave this uh, one big long thing for you, or we may cut it up. I haven't decided yet. But um, I, before this, I told Kim that we can sit here and talk for hours and hours and hours. Uh, but we have our stuff that we wanted to talk about, and we got a lot of it in with some other sidetracks, um, as normally would happen. But for right now, we are going to leave it be. And if you want to hear Kim on again, I'm sure... She would love to do that. And I know Tori is in the room nodding her head vigorously in a yes and no fashion. Um, She wants more. And we can talk about more things and be more specific about different ideas. Obviously, we can't be specific about treatment or we can't be specific about how we would do certain things because those, again, as we've been talking about the whole time, are specific to you, your lifestyle, your goals, your issues or problems or pains or whatever. And we want to be able to, if we are your provider. We want to be able to help you as a person, not as a one size fits all. That's it. You got anything? Closing remarks, Kim? No, thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right. It's been fun. See you at the 3.30 exercise class. Yeah, she's ready for the 3.30 <laughs> exercise class. And you guys have a great day. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon. Peace.